You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. So good to be in church together. So good to gather together as the church. And the church is not a building. The church is not a place. The church is people. And... Um, When we gather like this, this is the church gathering together because we together form the church. We together are the church. And um, when we gather together, when we exalt and lift up the name of Jesus, he's in our midst. He's in our midst. When we give him something to inhabit, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. When we're together, that, that, that worship this morning, presence of God was so real and so powerful and so tangible in this place. But God is where there is hunger and God is where there's a desire to exalt him and lift him up and praise him. You know, one of my most favorite, favorite times of the year is Easter. I love Easter. Every year, our team that pull together a a presentation for Easter. It's, it's one of the highlights of our year because it is just so unmistakably what it is all about. I hope you caught an even clearer glimpse of who Jesus was a couple of weeks ago. Um, I haven't been in church since Easter Sunday. I was away last week, just enjoying some time with my family. And But there's something about that. I don't know what it is. But some of the most powerful worship moments that I've ever experienced in our church happen on Good Friday. But why is that? Why is it that it's Good Friday? I just I remember vividly just over two weeks ago standing here and we'd we'd opened Good Friday and we for the very first time we sang that song, The Cross Has the Final Word. You could have cut the tension with a knife. It was unbelievable. I'm not talking about uh, just an emotional, I had shivers down my spine and all this Holy Spirit tingly stuff. It was, it was, it, it was tangible, the presence of God. I remember opening to where we were reading just a small passage of Scripture from. Just feeling so overcome as we're sitting thinking about Good Friday, thinking about what, what, what we were remembering, what we were taking in what we were gathering together to remember the cross and remember what Jesus has done for us. If I had my way, we have Christmas in July. I'd like to do Easter in December. (laughs) Forget about Christmas. Let's do Easter again. Because Christmas is great and I don't think that would get much traction, to be really honest. But, But Easter, when we stop and we take a moment, to consider Jesus who was sent from heaven, sent on our behalf to fix a problem that we could never ever fix on our own. That on Good Friday, his body was beaten. He was, he was whipped. He was, had a crown of thorns jammed on his head. He, he was beaten beyond recognition. You've only got to read Isaiah 53 to get a bit of a picture of, of what Jesus endured. To have all of his friends fall away from him and deny him. But like a sheep before the slaughter, he, he was silent. 
But then on that third day, when he rose again, rose victorious over sin and death, rose victorious. And it's why we have life and freedom and liberty and right connection with God. The lack of excitement about that is exactly where I want to start today. Because I think for so many of us, we feel like we've graduated from the gospel. We feel like we've graduated from the good news about Jesus. We think that the gospel is just the ABCs. The people who respond to a salvation altar call on a Sunday morning, the cross and the gospel is for them. But the truth is that because of the gospel, I once was lost, but now I'm found. The truth of the gospel that is that sin doesn't make me a bad person. Sin doesn't make me a horrible person. Sin makes me dead. Sin makes me dead and, and, and there is nothing that a dead person can do for themselves to make themselves right with God because I don't know, but have you ever seen a dead person um, sit up at their funeral service and say, hang on a minute, I didn't want that song. <laughs> have you seen a dead person sit up at a funeral service and, and, and go, hang on a minute, guys, I'm not dead yet. But a dead person cannot do anything for themselves. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians that I was, I was dead in my sin. I was dead in my transgressions. But now I have been made alive. I'm not a bad person that's been made right. But I'm a dead person who has been made alive. And because of Jesus and what He has done, I stand free. I stand whole because of what He's done. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was in slavery, but now I have freedom because of what He has done for me. But I wonder how many of us, because we've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, maybe we've been walking with Jesus for 10 years, maybe, maybe 50 years. And we feel like we've graduated from the gospel. Joel, you're not going to preach the gospel this morning, are you? We've moved on from that. I'm, I'm here for the deep teaching. I'm here for the exe- exegesis. Ooh, impressed by my word? Exegesis. Don't ask me what it means. I just know it's a very intelligent word. It's when you... I don't know. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. There's another, not another word as well, um, but I can't remember what the other word is. But that's, that's my word for today. <laughs> I do actually know what it means. It's when you pull meaning out of the Scripture. That's, that's what it was talking about. You're not going to preach the gospel. Joel, I, I'm a mature Christian. I'm a mature Christian. We don't need to talk about the gospel. But you see, we've got it so around the wrong way. I was listening to someone a few weeks ago talk and... They said our, our journey to maturity in Christ is actually a journey into childlikeness. Into childlikeness. 
that we don't grow up out of the gospel. We don't grow up out of the cross. We don't grow up out of what he has done for us. But God's desire for us in our maturity, because he is our father and we are his children, is that we would maintain a Christ-like attitude, sorry, a childlike attitude, a childlike mindset. My kids get so excited and so um, moved by some of the smallest things. Oh, I'm more mature than that. But I think as Christians, we can think that way as well. When we come around communion, have we turned it into some religious thing that we go through? Have we turned it into... We're going to take communion at the, the, the back end of, the, of our meeting this morning. But have we turned it into every two weeks to take communion? And that's all it is. But have we lost our sense of awe? Have we lost our sense of wonder at what this is all about? This isn't about a building. This isn't about a church. This isn't about the name of a pastor. This isn't about me as I stand here and talk to you this morning. But this is all about Jesus and it's all about who he is. But as we gather together, I hope you haven't come this morning to enjoy church. I hope you're not coming this morning looking for a church and you're thinking, um, is this church going to give me what I want? Well, if you want Jesus, you're going to get what you want. Because it's all about Him. When I gather with God's people, when I come together and I'm praising and exalting Him, I'm letting my affection and my love for Him overflow out of my heart for what He's done and who He is. But we can get so distracted. I didn't get my seat today. Morning tea was a bit average. What, there's no city kids next week. But what if we what if we got lost in the awe and the wonder of Jesus again? Yeah. I love it when our church worships, when we exalted and some of the the worship this morning was incredible. But I've, I feel so challenged in my own heart. I'm not up here this morning saying, I've got all this right. I'm not up here this morning saying, hey, I've seen Jesus and now you need to see him as well. You need to see him more clearly. We're just on a journey together. We're just on a journey together. I want to see him more clearly. I, I don't want to settle. I don't want to stop. But it starts with the cross. And whenever we graduate from the cross... We've lost the point of this whole thing yeah. altogether. Yeah. Do you come with me this morning to Romans 12? Mm-hmm. Father, as we just open your word, pray this morning that you would say what you want to say. You would do what you want to do in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 12, I'd say, I'm going to read one verse, and, and oh, I just keep coming back to this. It, it, 
Romans 12, it, just, it says, Therefore I urge you, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I'm going to read it again because it's only short. Therefore I urge you, this is Paul writing to the Romans. Therefore, that word therefore, it's talking about as a result of everything else that I have said. I urge you, some translations say, I beseech you. I urge you, I encourage you. He's not pointing down on the Roman church. He's saying, come on, guys. In view, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, the cross, the cross demands a response. And for me, if I could sum the Christian life up in one word, if I could sum it up in one word, I've said this before on numerous occasions, if I could sum this up in one word, I would sum it up as response. Response. That the Christian life is a response to what God has done for us. That it's not this, this journey about what I need to do in order to get God to respond to me, but that He's already done everything that needs to be done. He's already paid the price. He's already paid the penalty. He's already risen from the grave, triumphing over death and life. And He's now looking at us saying, now what are you going to do about that? There's nothing more that God can do for us to make us right with Him. He has already done everything that needs to happen. It demands a response and every moment of every day, we're responding to the cross. We're responding to the cross. But my level of response and how I view my response is determined by my view of the cross. That's why Paul says in Romans 12 verse 1, if we can... Drop that back on the screen. Therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy. You see, as Paul writes these scriptures, he's not saying, what is your view of God's mercy? He's not asking for your view as in what's your opinion because we all have opinions and we all have thoughts. But you see, this passage of scripture isn't saying, what's your opinion in view of God's mercy? What's your view about the mercy of God? He's not talking like that. What he's talking about is in view. Now that you can see clearly what I have done for you, now that we can see what God has done on our behalf, what is our response going to be? What is our response going to be? I um, Back in December, I, 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 Beck and I went and saw Coldplay down in Sydney. And um, long story short, they, they played two shows in Sydney in, in um, Allianz Stadium, which when you get everyone in there for a concert or something, they'll probably sit about 60,000 people. And they did it twice. They did two sold-out shows like that. And, and in that stadium, it's so huge. And, it's, and, and I'm one of those people that I, I want to get the best tickets that I can get. I want to make sure I can buy the best tickets. And so we missed out on the first show because it sold out. But we got to the second show and I'm sitting there and I've gone to the ticket tech person and I'm like, 
okay, I'm not going to ring Ticket Tech because I need to talk to someone face to face. I'm one of those, I want to talk to someone. I want to talk to a machine. I want to see someone face to face and I want to interact. And I said, I need two tickets. In that whole stadium where there were 60,000 people, there were not two tickets left beside each other. So I sat down the front and Beck said, no, that's not what happened. So, but you see, this, 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 this place, I was like, where can we get the best seats? I thought, you know what we're going to do? So what we ended up doing in the whole stadium, there was this one, one situation where there was seat X1 and Y1. So we were sitting like, like I was here and Beck was directly at the seat in front of me on the aisle. And if you've been to a concert before, you know that, hey, you don't sit down. Um, but it's like, so we got this crazy, crazy um, opportunity. There was no other opportunity like this in the whole stadium. We get there, we get across the stadium, there's people everywhere, everywhere. I've never seen it so jam-packed. We're trying to get through into where our seats are and it was like, it was ridiculously squashy and pushy as people were trying to get through. People were so desperate to get to their seats so that they could see. We get in there and we're crazy great seats. God just, it just, it just opened up for us to be there. And we get in there and it starts. No one's sitting down. It's all, all happening. But there are people down on the floor that have waited hours upon hours to get as close as they could to be able to see Chris Martin, the Coldplay front guy, who's just awesome. And... Um, <laughs> But they've waited that long. Paul, Coldplay is awesome and you know it. <laughs> anyway, they get to the front. All these people, there's like this, I wish I'd even never photo to show you, but there's this sea of people that just goes all the way back and they're all trying to get as close as they can to the front. There are people coming down from other areas of the stadium trying to find gaps where they could stand. People were so desperate to get as best a view of this band that they could possibly find. What if we were that desperate to see Jesus? What if we were so desperate for the best view of Jesus that we could possibly get? What if we became, what if we became so vicious in protecting our view of Jesus? What if we became selfish there's a good form of selfishness because there's enough of Jesus to go around and then some. But what if we became so, I've got to see Jesus, I've got to keep my eyes on the cross. I've got to see Him. But you see, when we lose sight of the cross, I've got a couple of points here. When we lose sight of the cross, we lose sight of the gospel. And have we let familiarity with the gospel eat away with us, eat away at us because we've taken our eyes off the cross? What's the gospel? The gospel is the good news about Jesus. We never graduate from the good news. The moment we lose our sense of awe and wonder at the gospel, we've lost sight of the cross. When we've lost sight of the cross, we've lost... We've lost everything there is about this and we just become a religious club. We just become a bunch of religious idiots, really. I was reading last night in 1 Corinthians 15 where, where Paul's writing and 
He says to the Corinthian church, he says, you know, if, if this hope that we have is for this life only, then we are the people that should be pitied the most. But we believe that the cross isn't just for now, but the cross is for eternity. When we lose sight of the cross, I become familiar with the gospel. When I become familiar, I'm relaxed. I begin to presume on the gospel. When I, begin, when I become familiar, I begin walking down a path towards indifference, which is a lack of interest and mediocrity. I'm not pointing the finger at anyone this morning, but maybe you're here this morning and you walked in because you're doing your religious duty and you think you're getting brownie points with God by being here. But you're so disinterested in what's going on, so disinterested in the person that we're worshipping and praising. This isn't a point and shame message. This is a, what would happen if Generation City Church took one step closer to the cross than where we are now? I'm, I'm not saying that we've all got to be like Pastor Marty, saying you have to all be like Kevin. We all want to be like Kevin. But personally and individually, what if we took one step toward the cross from where we are right now? What if we did one thing to move towards our view of the cross, our view of Jesus being less impeded than where it is right now? I love that God doesn't look over us and go, a blanket, a blanket, this is what it's going to be, or God's not a, not a cookie cutter. But he sees each one of us individually and personally and takes us all on a journey with him. When we're truly captivated by the gospel, we're overcome with love and cannot help but love others. We have an uncontainable joy amidst our circumstances and trials and sufferings. We possess a peace that can never be taken away. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the trial, because of the cross. Not because everything is right in our lives, but because Jesus made everything right with us and God. That's the source of our joy and our peace. We lose sight of the cross, we lose sight of the gospel. We become indifferent. And when we lose sight of the cross, discipleship is some heavy religious activity that is only for the fanatics. When we lose sight of the cross, discipleship is some heavy religious activity that is only for the fanatics. If we aren't passionate about discipleship, we've lost our view of the cross. What's discipleship? Discipleship is simply our journey and our walk following Jesus, becoming more and more like him. Part of the pillars of our church is that we see a church that is passionate about discipleship. 
Now, what that means is, yes, we are passionate about, about people receiving Jesus and starting that discipleship journey. But, but the flip side of it is, is we see a church passionate about their own discipleship. You see, we never ever graduate from discipleship. The whole purpose of discipleship is that more and more of Jesus would be in us, that we would become more and more like Him, more and more formed into His image. But that is never ever going to end. That's a journey that is never going to be finished this side of eternity, us becoming more and more like Jesus. In our connect groups, we've just started working through a series of messages on discipleship that Pastor Marty's written. We had the first one in my connect group on Friday just gone, and it was mind-blowing, the discussions that we had. The discussions that we had about discipleship. But maybe some of you are thinking, oh, I don't want to talk about discipleship at Connect. Discipleship's like the ABCs of Christianity. But the moment we graduate from discipleship, we've lost view of the gospel. We've lost view of the cross. My mate Justin down the front here, the journey that God has him on right now is so amazing. So amazing. And April's been a bit of a crazy month for me, but I had a week where I was in, in the office and like I got in touch with him. I was like, I just want to desperately have a coffee with this guy and sit down with him because I am just so inspired by his journey with Jesus. But maybe some of us are thinking, well, I've been in church for 20 years and what have I got to learn from a guy who's been following Jesus for five months? I've got so much in, when it comes to passion that I can learn from this guy because, you know, some of the best people for us to learn from are people who have just seen Jesus for the first time. Yeah, who have just seen him and have just got caught up in the awe and the wonder of the cross that aren't caught in this religious rubbish. But again, this God that gave everything for me, this, this Jesus that died on a cross for me. Give me three hours with Justin over five minutes with someone who's stale and had been walking with Jesus for 40 years. I've been in church my whole life. I was born when dad was in Bible college. I've got the potential to be one of the most stale Christians out there. Believe me, I do. And I think there's been times in my life where when my faith and my walk with Jesus has just been stale. I'm trying to think of something diplomatic to say, but I haven't got anything to say. But we've all got that potential to be stale. I don't know how many church services I've been in. I don't know how many times I've been to youth. I don't know how many, how many times I've led worship from this platform. I've been leading worship from this platform since I was 18. I'm 31. 31. I'm too old to be at youth on Friday night. When we count people who are at youth, we count our high schoolers, we count our young adults, and we count the others. <laughs> and I'm part of the others. <laughs> and so is he. <laughs> so is my wife. And so is Kate, who does a great job as well on a Friday night. 
But we're there because we want young people to see Jesus. But when we lose sight of the cause, saying, I want to spend time with people who have just seen Jesus. That's who I want to spend time with. I moved heaven and earth to have a coffee with Justin, and I'm keen to do it again because it's just inspiring. It's inspiring. We lose sight of the cross, we lose our sense of gratitude. In view of the cross, our sense of entitlement dies. I just want to just quickly jump into something in Luke 19, and then we're going to have communion. If the team want to come, that'd be fantastic. Luke 19. It's a story of Zacchaeus. It's a story of Zacchaeus. Luke 19, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Here's a guy. Got some things I want to just pull out of this very quickly before we have communion. Here's this guy. He, he's, he's a Jew that's working on behalf of the Romans receiving people's tax. And, and he's not a nice guy. He's not a nice guy at all. He would have been hated and he would have been despised by his own people because he was a, a rip-off merchant. But he hears that Jesus is coming to town and he, the Scripture tells us, he, he wants to see Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. But there's that word in there. He, 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 want, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was short and could not see over the crowd. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, I want to see Jesus, but I want to see Jesus, but I'm too busy. I want to see Jesus, but I don't have enough time. I want to see Jesus, but I'm not smart enough. I want to see Jesus, but I'm not worthy enough. I want to see Jesus, but I'm not good enough. You see, Zacchaeus in this, this passage, he, he had to overcome his own but. And the but that he was too short and couldn't see over the crowd. The story goes on. He said he wanted to see Jesus. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Him. So he ran ahead. Now, we've got to understand the biblical context of the day. That this guy, Zacchaeus, he was wealthy. He was important. And to see a man run was to imply that what he was chasing after was more important than himself. Because men in those days didn't run. But the next factor in this, this image of Zacchaeus running ahead of the crowd was that in order for him to run, he would have had to have hitched up his garments and exposed his legs. And in those days, that was so socially wrong. It's like men at the beach in Speedos, socially wrong and unacceptable. But you see, he so desperately wanted to see Jesus. He had an obstacle in his way, but he ran. He didn't care what people around him were thinking. He didn't care what they were thinking about him as he hitched up his garment and ran. He didn't care. 
But He didn't just get to the front and then find a real good posse and wait. He knew because He was short that He was gonna have to get up above the crowd. Let me tell you this morning, if you wanna see Jesus, you need to get up above the crowd. You gotta get up above the stuff that's going on around. You gotta get up. He had to exert energy. He had to exert energy to get up this tree to get a view. But you see, Zacchaeus knew he had to position himself to see Jesus. Because Jesus was coming that way, he was guaranteed to see Jesus. But how desperate are we to see Him? He climbed a tree to position Himself. I wanna give you a couple of practical things when it comes to positioning yourself to see Jesus. Position yourself in the Word. You wanna see Jesus? You gotta get the Word into you. Position yourself in prayer. Maybe you're not accustomed to praying and I'm not for a second suggesting that you need to go home and get up at three o'clock and pray for three hours. Again, what if we all took just one step? What if we took one step in positioning ourselves? Position yourself in community. Position yourself here in the gathering of the believers on Sundays. Position yourself in a connect group. The bunch of guys that I gather with on a Friday morning, we're only together for about an hour and a half, but we talk about Jesus. We talk about life. We talk about how we're going. But a bunch of guys that sometimes that, hey, I'm struggling with this. I, I, last night I really messed up with this hey, we get around each other and we encourage each other and we point each other to Jesus. We want to help each other see Jesus. We, want to, we were talking about passionately helping each other in the journey of discipleship because we can't do discipleship on our own. But you see, Zacchaeus climbed that tree and he was guaranteed to see Jesus because Jesus was coming that way. Let me tell you, if you position yourself in the Word, you position yourself in prayer and you position yourself in community, you are guaranteed to see Jesus because Jesus is coming that way. If you're not in the Word and you're not letting God's Word into you and that second verse in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by renewing it through the Word of God. If we're not positioned in the Word and we're not positioned in prayer, which is simply a position of surrender and and opening the way of communication with heaven. If we're not positioned in community where, where we can have people around us that are going, come on, you can get back up and you can keep going. Come on, Jesus has begun, begun a good work in you and He's gonna bring that to completion. In that space, in that arena, in that atmosphere, you're positioning yourself to see Jesus more clearly. And I don't want to just see the cross once and that's it. I want it in daily focus in my heart. I want it in the daily focus of my life as I go around what it is I'm doing. We position ourselves. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how long you read your Bible last week or that it's only April and you finished your Bible in a year plan. When was the last time you saw Jesus? It's not a one-off situation. It's not something we do once. 
So fixing our eyes on Jesus and living from that place of seeing. Is communion being distributed? That's great. Romans 12, verse 1. In view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. In view of His mercy. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. The New King James version of that passage says that that's, that's your reasonable service. Give your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's your reasonable service. You, you see, it, it's not extravagant. It's, it's not above and beyond. It's not fanatical. It's reasonable. That word reasonable, it means fair, sensible, moderate. You want to be a moderate Christian? Lay down your life as a living sacrifice. That's what reasonable means. Full of common sense. Logical. Logical. You see, in view of the cross, in view of the cross, our every breath is our reasonable worship. But when we've lost sight of the cross, we're trying to do Christianity every breath is unreasonable it doesn't make sense but in view of the cross when was the last time you saw the cross you hold in your hand this morning you hold your hand the cup and you hold the biscuit pray this morning that you wouldn't just do this as a religious thing that we do every second week. You hold in your hand the cup and you hold the biscuit. The cup, it it symbolizes the blood of Jesus. It symbolizes the blood. It symbolizes the blood that was shed for us. The Bible says that it's not with perishable things like silver or gold that we have been redeemed, but we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Because of His blood and that it was shed for us, we have right standing with God. No other way but through the blood of Jesus. The biscuit signifies His body. Body that was beaten, His body that was broken, His body that was whipped, His body that was... He was beaten unrecognisably. They wouldn't have even known He was a man. That's what the Scriptures say. He wasn't clean Jesus on the cross with his white undies on, like some of the pictures would have you that would have you believe. But he was beaten beyond recognition for you and for me. But for the joy set before him, he endured it. And that joy that was set before him was you and me.